you'd open your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 18. A very familiar story with all of you that are here today. I'm sure if you've been a, a church goer most of your life, you're familiar with this story. And I'm sure through the years in many churches, it's been preached thousands upon thousands of times. And I want to share with you today because I think there's several messages in this chapter. But I want to share with you today, and my title is going to be, How Long Will It Take? And I'm challenging any of you, all of you, or some of you. How long will it take? And you say, to do what? Well, let's go into this message and see what it says. I want to read, first of all, just verse 21, because that's where the text is. 1 Kings 18 and verse 21. Now, this is on Mount Carmel. Now, Mount Carmel is along the Mediterranean coast up near what is today called Lebanon, or in the Bible it's called Phoenicia, and up on that very coast up there of Mount Carmel. And this is where Elijah and the story takes place. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long will you halt between two opinions? Now, that's where my title comes from. How long is it going to take you to do what you know is right? That's the whole message. We can go home now. But let me finish. How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. And if Baal, follow him. And notice the end of this verse, kind of like today, same way. And the people answered him not a word. There was no response. Sometimes you don't know if you got your message across, if they heard what you were saying, if you were not loud enough or too quiet or something. Did they hear what I said? Did you hear what I said? The preacher would say to himself. He would say, hey, did you all hear what I just said? Why do you just sit there? And you see, that's probably what he was thinking. He said, how long will you halt between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. You got a decision to make. Like Joel talks about three, he's going to bring you to the valley of decision. Though that's not the, probably the right word, but it's sort of a picture of what we're talking about. You're going to have to make a decision about your life, your direction, what you've heard, and what you're going to do with it. And the people answered him not a word. Strange, isn't it? You know they're thinking. They couldn't fault God. They were afraid of the king. They knew what they should do, but they were not sure they could really do that yet. I got to wait a while. And so all they could do was just listen and go, answered him not a word. Now let's look at a little bit of the story here. In chapter 17 and verse 1, there's a conflict between Ahab and God. Now Ahab was a son of one of those kings up there in Phoenicia, Omri was an evil man. The Bible said this about Asa's father. He said, Omri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all the kings that were before him. Now, one of the kings before him that God keeps referring to over and over and over is Jeroboam. Jeroboam caused all of Israel to sin. By up all their idols, he turned the hearts of all the people from devotion and allegiance and trust in God to sticks and rocks. He literally did. But it was fun. They had freedoms. You could pray to a rock and never get convicted about anything because a rock can't talk back. You could take a piece of wood and have some craftsman make some kind of a goofy looking thing out of it and bow before it. And you do whatever you want to because that thing cannot make you convicted. And they liked that. But with God, they had to keep hearing what he said. So Jeroboam talked them out of that. They turned away from all of that. He built a big shrine down in Samaria. People worshipped that. Didn't have to do this God stuff anymore. We're free. We're cool and all that. 
And it says this about Ahab, who was Omri's son. This is in chapter 16, verse 30. When Ahab became king, here's how God described Ahab, who we're talking about. He said, And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all the kings that were for him. Not worse than, but more than worse. He was perhaps the worst of all of them. Ahab, he was evil-minded. His desires were only evil continually. And God will not put up with that very long. So here's what he did. In chapter 17, he said there's going to be three years without dew or rain. Nobody probably believed that at first. Well, that's just church talk. But then it started happening. Can you imagine three and a half years, no rain? And it says in chapter 18, he said, came to pass after that in the third year that God told Elijah, go show yourself unto Ahab. I will send rain on the earth. Now you and I are thinking, I, at least I would think like this. Well, why would you have to tell Ahab? You didn't have to. It's part of the plan. Said, go tell Ahab. That it's going to rain. And here's what I want you to do. And then we came to our verse 21 there when he said he brought them to Mount Carmel. And he said, how long, you people, how long are you going to halt between two opinions? Now, if God is who he said he is, and you've got something in your heart that, that confirms that, you don't know what to do with it, it may not be strong enough to compel you yet, but you know it's right. Even lost people know that though they can't define it or explain it, they know there is something sacred and holy about God. They're kind of afraid of it. Afraid I'll fail it, afraid I can't do it, or he'll judge me, or I don't, you know. But on the other hand, he said, if you all think Baal is God, follow him. But let's find out who is. This is the way chapter 18 comes to an end. I like the very end of the chapter, though it's not our message today, when Elijah girded up his loins and outran the king's horses across the plain of Jezreel. I've been there. I stood there and looked at it from one end of it a long, long way, the only flat part in Israel. And I asked a guide over there in Israel a couple years ago, I said, this plain of Jezreel we're looking at? He said, yeah, this is it. I said, where was Ahab's quarters? That You know, when Elijah ran, he smiled. He said, well, he... Probably started from somewhere up there. See way up there? I said, yeah. And they said, and see that far mountain peak down there where it's called Gilboa. That was where Saul died on that mountain, him and Jonathan. Well, I said, well, he ran from there down to there. Without stopping? I guess so. Man. And the king's horses were galloping along the best they could. And that old fella just went on by. <laughs> what a story. But we missed the whole point if we get to that and we... Don't go back to where we were. You see, the problem in this story is verse 18. See, he said, you have forsaken the Lord. Now, this is true with anybody in this room or any country or any people. If you continue to forsake the Lord, you will be judged. Judgment will come. And how does it come? It comes in many ways, not always told or shown why things happen, but things happen. And you know that's true. Sometimes it looks like God lets people get by with a lot of stuff. You read it in Psalm 75. Look at the wicked and the rich. They do this and do they. They live long and are well-to-do and are feeling good. And look at us. We're struggling, suffering, Christians. We're living something that they think is, is ignorant. They're getting by with disobedience. Until the psalmist said, yeah, you think they are. But when you read the end of the book, when they come to the end of, of their life, it's a dead zone. They have nothing except fear and anxiety about the day of their death. Because when they die, it's not over. Because you don't ever just stop ceasing to exist. You just live and you're in another realm. And the realm opposite heaven in eternity is a bad place. And yet, most people, they think they're too good to go to that place, that God is bigger than, you know, their problems. I'm not, maybe not good as I should be, but I'm not bad enough to go there. So they take that chance. 
And yet, what a terrible chance for a man to make the pleasures of this world his goal, to deny the Lord, to turn his head, refuse to listen, make excuses why he can't serve the Lord or do the right things. Oh, I just, you know, some other day, some other day. Until he gets to the place where he can't make the right decision. I mean, he had a chance. We all will have a chance in this life to make a right decision. The question is, how long are you going to keep waiting to make that decision? You can't say when you're 16, well, I don't want to rush into this. I, I, I got to think about it. And then when you're 60 and your hair is gray, say, well, I don't want to rush into this. I got to make sure. At some point, you're messing up. At some point, you're going to have to make a decision, whether you feel comfortable with it or not, because there's some things that are just right. You may not understand why it's right, because you may not know that much about why God says it's right, but it's right. And there's coming time you have to make that decision. But the reason judgment comes is because, as he said in, in verse 18, he said, you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you've been following something other than God. Your devotion, your religious pursuit, or your spiritual mindset is not God, but it's something else that gets your allegiance and your loyalty. It's not God. We call that an idol, whether it's your career, your family, your children, your ministry. Whatever it is that people exalt, it becomes an idol. So in verse 21, he said, how long? Now, let's define two words. We've got to define the word halt and the word opinions. Because you can make those mean a lot of things, I guess, whatever different than the Bible says. How long refers to how much time or how much proof do you need today to be convinced that the right choice in your life is God. See, how long? Now, you haven't chosen God. You're aware of God. You even fear God. There's a dread of God. And, and again, the day of your death. But you haven't really turned to him. Now, the word halt is a word that literally means to leap. Leaped. You find it in verse 26 across the page there. When talking about the prophets of Baal, how they leaped upon the altar. We'll run through that again in a minute. But the same word there means to halt. Maybe he could have said, how long will you leap between two opinions? It also means to limp, to limp along. It's like you're not able to be stable and stationary. Adam Clark in his work, he said the word describes a bird that's on a limb it hops from limb to limb trying to find the one that best suits them, and, and they keep hopping, and they're never satisfied with any limb. And it's sort of a picture. You get the Hebrew single word, and then you get this picture of a person who's not real sure of himself, just not real able or real willing to make a decision. And then the word opinions, how long will you halt between two opinions? The word opinions has to do with being divided in your mind. Literally, how long, how long will you limp between the uncertainty that you have in your mind? Let me tell you how bad this is. Let me tell you how God describes mental uncertainty. Put your finger right here and turn to James chapter 4. And we're going to come right back to 1 Kings. James chapter 4 and verse 8. See, a mind that flitters and goes back and forth and cannot be steadfast is a mind of doubt and unbelief. This is how God describes doubt. Doubt, a Greek word. A Greek word which describes uncertainty. It means you can see this side and then you can also see this way. It's just like in this life. We know that there's a message of healing. You can't deny it. 
God did say that. But then on the other hand, and the devil uses this, but look at the people that aren't well. Look at the people that aren't healed. How can you just say God will heal you, but look at the ones he didn't? And as long as you keep doing this, looking this way and this way, you may languish over the message and, oh, what am I going? And the Bible message is, is God God? Did he mean what he said or did he say it to you or is this for somebody else or is it for you? If this message is for us, then what did he say? Now, if he's God, then let him be God. Now, if he doesn't want to heal and that's not true, then believe that and wander around the rest of your life hoping it works because it never will. He either does or he doesn't. He either is the healer or he's not. Now, churches can fight and fuss and write notes and, well, today it's email and false book and Twitter heads, whatever they are, and emit their dissatisfaction or disagreement with you. But it's true. If God is God, let him be God. If he said, I am the Lord that heals you, then he is. If he said, I will supply all of your needs, he will. If he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, he won't. Now, why in the world do any of us, after all these years, wonder about it? Are we basing the validity, the integrity of God on somebody's experience? Well, I would believe the Almighty does what the Almighty promised, but it didn't work with Mabel Sue here. I hope nobody's named Mabel Sue because I'm not talking about you. But how often do we point to people and judge God? People say, you mean you people believe in going to the Lord for your healing? We could say, you mean you don't? You mean you're a Christian and you don't believe in God? Oh, I believe in God. Well, the devil believes in God. You mean you don't believe that he, he watches over his word to perform it? You mean that God won't do what he promised? When he said all of his promises are yes and amen, you mean he won't do that? Are you saying he can't? Or maybe he's dishonest. He said he would, but then he won't. How long are we going to be uncertain about it, whether or not he's God? If he is, let him be God. You say, yeah, but then what will happen? See, you're doubting because you want to go to God. You know it's true, but on the other hand, what if I do this? And, oh, well, listen to James 4. And verse 8. He said, draw nigh to God. And he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, am I right or am I accurate? Let's get legal for a minute. Am I right to say that double-mindedness goes with impurity? A double-minded man in verse 8, is equated with being sinful and impure. Cleanse your hands, you what? And in the same category, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, the Greek word is di, which means to, and p-s-u-c-h-o-s, sukos, means your soul or your mind. A double-minded man, then, is a man that has two minds. Not literally two minds, but the way he functions is as though he has two minds. He has a mind for God. He has a mind for circumstances. He knows that God said what he said, but he also knows that it doesn't seem to be working over here. I hear what you're saying. I hear what they're saying. And churches today saying God doesn't heal today. And some of us say, yes, he does. And, and we got too many radio stations we listen to and too many preachers you're listening to. Next thing you know, you don't even know what you believe. You know they're both right. And you answer no response to what you heard.
Don't know what to do. Who do I believe today? How about starting with God? Believe God. See, a double-minded man is a man whom God doesn't say good things about. Turn to chapter 1. You know this verse well, this part of Scripture. Beginning in 3, if any man lack, you know, let him ask of God. God gives liberally, and he upbraids not. But let him ask in faith without wavering. You remember this, don't you? But he that wavers, it's not a good thing. A waver is like the sea, the wave of the sea. You're here, and you make a little noise, and you're back over here. You're splashing around. It's like a person who is like that bird on a limb. You, you don't know which limb to hang on. You're here, and you're there. You're like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by what? By the wind. Something here about the wind is, has a spiritual application also. But what the wind does is blow us around. And at verse 8, he says, Let not that man think he shall receive anything from God. Now, we could make this real narrow, but I won't. God alone can give all the right things in life that a man needs. But one of the great conditions for receiving from God is faith. When you pray, believe, which is another way you could translate the Hebrew word opinions. is a belief system, how people believe. How long will you halt between your double-minded options? Because he said a double-minded man is not stable. He won't receive anything from God. Because he's not stable. What's the picture of not being stable? The wind driven and tossed. Remember that? Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God because he's an unstable man in all of his ways. He's hard to pastor. He's hard to teach. He's a good guy. She's a good girl. Loving people, kind people, sincere and honest. But they just can't. Ugh. They just lack a constitution within them to say, I'm going to trust God. And like Esther said, going in before the king, if I die, I die. But I'll die believing. I'm going to trust the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that, though people dread that. But he said a, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Now back to the wind. Leave your finger in 1 Kings and now go to Ephesians 4. Because you see, in Ephesians 4, God gave to the church something to correct all this so we could all find favor with God. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, didn't he? We call those the five-fold office gifts. Gifts from the Lord in the form of men to advance us, cause us to do better, to grow to become what he wants us to be, to change. He puts ministry gifts for us. And he said, till we all come, you know that, to the unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, and so forth, that we be no more like children. Verse 14. This ministry that God gives to the church is to so affect the church that it brings us, the people, the people to a place. And the place is this that we be no more like children who are uncertain and unstable. Tossed to and fro. There it is again. That's an opinion. This opinion, that opinion. We're tossed here, we're tossed there. On one day we're convinced, another time we're not convinced. You know, the heady people on the doubt side say, well, God could and he's able, but he, he doesn't need all those gifts today. We've got doctors and hospitals. And then over on the other side, God simply says, I am the Lord that heals you. They can't always do it. I can always do it. Yeah, I know, but I look at those over here. Just, Lord God, that we be, you out there, me, that we be no longer like children that are tossed to and fro by all the different views, different opinions. That we no longer be like that. 
but that we might be stable, steadfast, and certain, knowing in whom we have believed and in what we believe. Jesus said, I want your eye to be single. Quit looking at this way and looking at that way. Let your eye be single. See only what God said. That's enough. He is the one we ought to turn to and the one we ought to trust in. Now, this is what opinions is about. Different views, different persuasions, different sometimes reasonable, logical ideas of man that seem to oppose God. And we listen to that because we think this guy's got something to say and, you know, and and we're never sure. We go to church and hear the truth and sit there, don't know what to say about it. Answer, not a word. Now, would you agree with me that something might be wrong? All I'm saying is that how many years, how many thousand messages will we hear before we're convinced that God is God? Until we cross over. There's a verse in the Bible. I know it's in the Bible. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and what? Lean not what? What has trained my understanding in this world? The systems. God says, I have a new way of living. I want to show you my way. This is the way. Walk ye in it. I am the way. The truth and the life. Now, there is no other. You can fabricate another way because there is a way that seems right to those who want a different way. But it's always the way of death. It leads you nowhere. It's just like a man who is willing to doubt in this life will receive nothing from God. That's a serious verse of scripture. Now, for our message today, now that we've introduced it, let me give you three different little groups here. Three groups of people that we're to look at. One is the prophet. The prophet represents God. He represents what I've been talking about. The truth. The unerring, stable, unalterable word of God. It's the right opinion of these two opinions. It's the right view of what is right. It is God's. So the prophet, who is only, at this case, one, would you say he was in a minority? I mean, you had all the people that came. You had 450 prophets of Baal, and then you had 400 prophets of Jezebel who waited on on her. That would make really 850. Only the prophets of Baal are spoken of mostly here. But these prophets and these people and all these that are gathered together, Bring us to the second group. The first group is the ministry. The real, true word from God. Let's go back to uh, 1 Kings chapter 18. The second group are the priests of Baal. Now there's a lot represented here to me in my view of how I'm looking at things this morning after many years of being out here. The prophets of Baal represent falsehood, obviously. Misleading information about what is right. They add right. They add the flavor of God to what they believe and what they preach. But their conclusion is away from God. They say, for example, when it comes to healing or being blessed or prospering. Well, God certainly could. Because he's God. They know that. They can't deny that. He's God. He can do anything. And he has. We read all these accounts in the Bible, especially in the book of Acts, all the things he did. You know what their conclusion is to you? But this is a new age and a different age. He might not do those things today because he's given us something else to trust in. That is an eternal lie. If the new is better than the old, and the old was wonderful, the new is better. The promises made then were steadfast. They're still steadfast because they're still yes and amen. God has never changed his mind. We don't find his favor through a law anymore. 
We no longer have to turn to the law to find favor with God because now we find it solely by faith. Responding, reacting to what he said. That's what faith is. It's being faithful. We don't depend on the law, which we cannot keep. We depend on the hearing of his word, the leading of his spirit, and then a choice to be faithful. Without that, you can't please God. You can be religious. You can be the best Methodist Presbycostal in the world. But if you're unwilling to be faithful and make the choices you've got to make, how can you please God? I'll say this. He's bigger than I am. I may have a view that's a little more narrow than it should. It may not be at all. It may be a little wider than it should. But I know this, that, that these prophets of Baal, their views of life, their views of religion, their views of God, their view of what is spiritual in your life is all fabricated by the designs of their human minds. These are men who have been captured by the devil. And they are going about trying to capture people. That's what the devil does, to kill, steal, and destroy. The devil has people out there that he can use. Angels of light. Doesn't it say that? They appear to be sheep, but they're really wolves. And God's people, because they're indecisive, can't tell the difference. We're afraid to say, you're a wolf, because it sounds so unloving. That's not, that's not. Love, it's love, it's love that makes the world go round. Let's don't talk about anything that would bother anybody. Let's don't talk about anything that bothers anybody. Let's let everything just be gushy and, and squishy and lovey. That sounds a little soft to me. You can't escape this life of having to make decisions. You can't turn your head when God said, this is the way walk in it. Yeah, but what if I do with my family, my friends, my job? What will they do? Who are you serving? God's not for you for your evil. God's for you for your good. But to find the good, you sometimes have to go through some things that you think is evil. You've got decisions to make. Did you know the world's going to hate you for making right decisions? But these opinions, listen to what Ephesians said. Man's opinions like their idols, are fabricated by men who are tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And through cunning craftiness and by the slight of man, they capture people. And whatever the spirit is in the preacher is usually the spirit that's going to control you. That is, whatever is behind the message, if it's a man's message, you'll embrace a man's view. If it's a message of God, you'll embrace that. I say this with fear. Don't believe it because I've said it. Don't think that what I said right here is you prove it. If it ain't what the Bible says, forget it. But think of it. All the falsehood that's in the world today and the people who love falsehood and who more and more in this hour that we're in right now are beginning to be more and more aggravated with Christianity. Because now, if you're a Christian and you believe in God, you're far right. You're a right-wing troublemaker. Did you know that? Just because you believe in God. And this is just not acceptable today. But the Bible describes men like this. said, and through covetousness and with feigned words were warned. These men will make merchandise of you. They'll own you. They'll capture your attention. You'll think this is the greatest man I've, oh, you are so important. Oh, and they will capture your affections. We're warned about that. I mean, we're told that in 2 Peter 3. And when you get interested in like faith and walking deeper with the Lord, they'll start putting a question mark where God puts a period. Hath God said? Come now, do you really believe he meant that? Do you really think that, <laughs> I remember a preacher on the radio one day challenged the listeners, if you believe in miracles, you come over here to the radio station, and we'll give you a chance to work one. And I remember thinking at the time in my 
youthful thinking. I said, I'm going to bring the janitor of our church over. Let me see you save him. <laughs> oh, Harvey Hesford, he's about as hardened a sinner as I ever knew. But he cleaned well. <laughs> let me bring Harvey over and let you boys get him saved. Come on, don't you believe in salvation? Doesn't God save today? Get after him. Come on, come on, boys, get him saved. I think they wanted to fill a tub full of water and say, let me see you stand on it. Well, you can't tempt God. That's not what we do. When it comes time to stand on the water, it'll be because the wind's blowing and the bullets are flying and you need to get out of there. And the only way is across the water and you'll do it. It'll work. Some of these things that these people say to talk you out of your faith, because if you listen to these kind of people who quote the Bible so much, oh, they can quote portions of it. And your mind says, well, they have to be right. Anybody that can quote the Bible that much has to be right. You can't say they're wrong. And it would be terrible to speak against that. And yet when they conclude what they're saying, it's wrong. They say God could, but he might not. When did he say that? I think the four places in the New Testament where multitudes came to him and he healed them all. Which one did he say, it's not my will to heal you? To which one? Who did he not feed when he broke the loaves and the fishes? Who did he say, well, it's better for you to go hungry? Who's taught that? Who has so affected man's mind that that kind of ugly leaven has leavened their thinking? They listen to too many people. Listen, folks, if they speak not according to this word, what's it say? It says they're natural men. The natural mind, the Bible says, receiveth not the things of the Spirit. You can come into any teaching area with a hungry heart, and somebody who's not hungry like that with words can make you unhungry, can take away the wonder of it all, can take away the joy of it all. And when you hear about the joy of it all and the wonder of it all, you're like those who spoke not a word. I don't know about that. I don't know. Well, we should know. We certainly should know. A natural man is a man who breaks down the things of God and makes them reasonable. So he takes away your faith. Well, we know that God said this, but, you know, come on. I mean, if he wanted to do that, he would. That's just the way it is. Next thing you know, what's the purpose of faith? Well, there isn't any, I guess. If he wants to do it, he will, If whether I pray or not. Everybody who doesn't get anything from God says, well, he knows what's best. Well, obviously he does, and he told me what was best. Didn't the Bible tell us what's best? That's what's best. And he said, this is the best. Well, yeah, but, you know, don't get your hopes up because even though God said that, uh, he may not, uh, you know. You know what these people remind me of? Leaven. Liberal Levenites. A liberal is somebody that, has, that holds to nothing for sure. Everything is optional. It may be true this year. It may not be true next year. But when it is true, take advantage of it because times change. What was good back then is may not be good now. What worked for them then may not work now. The way they lived in that culture in the Old Testament, you can't make application of those same things today. And yet we're reading a part of Scripture that happened hundreds of years ago, and God is showing us the truth. He says the things that were written of old time were written for us to learn from. And he's never changed. His message is as true today and with us as it was to these people way back then. The priests of Baal, like Paul said, they profess that they know God. They say they do, but in works, in what they do, the choices that they make deny the Lord. They deny him, and those denials are described as abominable, disobedient, and reprobate. That's in Titus chapter 1. How could you describe death in more vivid terms than that? 
listen, listen, listen. They profess to know God. Oh, I know the Lord. Yeah, I know the Lord. They profess to know him, but what they're doing with their life, the choices they make, how they live, how they treat people, each other, the way they conduct their affairs, the conversation or the behavior, the manner of life that you see as they live denies the Lord. That's not what God taught you. That's not what we do. We don't act like that. We don't go there, watch that, wear that. We don't do that. That's not a place a Christian ought to be involved. That's not for you. Why are you doing that? Well, I, you know, I, here we go. Back to those two. Well, I know I shouldn't. I know, you know, I know me and Bud Dummer are not supposed to be this close to each other. But man, I, my buddy in the church over here told me that I'm, I'm just a human being. And as long as I'm in this flesh, man, I'm going to, you know, I, I, just, I just do the best I can because I can never be perfect. Who taught you that? Who told you that's okay? Who said that? You've been lied to. Somebody's opinion has been brought to you that's disarmed you from any spiritual pursuit you have. You're no longer striving after the deeper things of God. You've resigned yourself to the fact that you can't. Who taught you that? I'll tell you who taught you that. Somebody who does that themselves. That's the way they live. Some of the worst to me in my life, boy, they, a lot of them wouldn't like this, but some of the worst of these people are fundamentalist. Fundamentalist. They proclaim sovereign grace and the divine inspiration of the word and the, and, and the substitutionary atonement and, the, and election and predestination and foreknowledge. I mean, they got that right. I agree with them. And they preach all this right before the Christmas pageantry. Or they proclaim all these wonderful doctrines at the Halloween party. <laughs> they don't. Whatever sells. Whatever makes money, whatever makes people happy, you're preaching the doctrines of grace. And then you turn right around and participate in stuff that you ought to get away from. Who taught you it's okay to do that? Oh, Brother Hamilton, here you go again. You know what? I'm going to accommodate you this morning. Don't write me the note. But you're right. I am hammering on it. Knowing that nobody here is better than anybody, and I'm not against other people, but I am against religion. I grew up with people in a system of man that put us all to sleep. And when truth and when light did come, all that light did was anger the whole bunch of them. I got saved. And I thought everybody would be happy. You know, I chased cars all my life. That's what a dog does. You know, I lived like a dog all my life when I got saved. I thought everybody in the church would love it. But they answered not a word. They sit there and said, you know, what's wrong with him? I've told you many times. I don't mind telling you again. The first time I said amen in church, first time I ever remember it. I can tell you where I was sitting in the fellowship hall, looking up on the stage at Brother John Bartlett preaching. And I said, man, that's good. Well, I said, well, help him. I, amen. Well, you would have thought, you would have thought the deacons all went arm in arm and came up there and said, you're going to have to leave. Of course, I was an elder and they couldn't make me leave. That was their mistake. 32-year-old elder asked board to buy a golf course so we could become a country club. That's all we were. One of them walked out on that. And I was so ignorant. I shouldn't have said that. But how many of these fundamentalists forbid gifts? Forbid you to walk a deeper walk. Anti-political. Anti-killing. Anti-man-made holidays. I know what people think. If you hang around a charismatic life and you one of those that speak in tongues, they think you're, you're just some devil. And yet you look back all these years, you know, I am not the devil. My whole picture has improved and I can see things is to me and the Bible verifies it. It's clear since the Holy Spirit's come. Things are clear. 
I know really in whom I have believed, and I'm convinced of it. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not going to deny it. I don't go around with a sign or, you know, my neck. I'm one of them. I don't have to do that. All I do is live my life. I learned a long time ago, and I'm telling you this morning, how long is it going to take us to make the right decision and stay with it? You can. Nobody can keep you from it. Galatians 3. This is how the New Testament message reflects the Old Testament message. In Galatians 3 and and verse 1, Paul said, Oh, foolish Galatians. Would it ever be right to call good, loving church people foolish? Don't answer that then. Would it ever be right to say to church folks that have been born again that they were foolish? Well, let's see if we can find out why, just briefly. Oh, foolish Galatians, he said, who hath bewitched you? Who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Then these words, who before your very eyes, Christ has been evidently set forth. It's as clear as a bell. I'll add these words to it. Paul said, I have labored among you for maybe a year or two. Day and night we preach. I've cried over you. I labor. God, make this word real. Lord, anoint this word. Lord, open their eyes. I know they were all steeped in occultism and, and idol worship where they were, but Lord, God, make your word like fire. Make us begin to burn and bring conviction on these people. And Paul says, why would you turn away from that and give heed to fables why would you let somebody come along and talk you out of the truth or bewitch you hold you under a spell somebody is eloquent somebody is gifted in speak why would you let that be to you evidence of the real thing what he's saying is misleading you he doesn't say everything wrong no but he says enough wrong that you question mark about whether or not you can trust god yeah And so, he said, who has bewitched you that you shouldn't obey the truth? Has not Christ been clearly set forth before you? I mean, this is fresh in his life. He just, a few years ago, he was on the earth. And they got living, vivid, living testimonies. The apostle that followed Christ, some of them were still around. We were there, they said. We touched him. We handled him. We listened to him. And the people said, you know, this is who we ought to serve. Not all of them did. And Paul said to the church, he said, who in the world comes along and tells you that you don't have to obey the truth? Who has bewitched you? Has it been made clear to you who Jesus is? Well, why wouldn't you believe him? Hey, if the Lord be God, follow him. If he's not the Lord, don't follow him. All we need to do is teach and show you that he is the Lord. Now do it. Oh, brother Tom, that's, that's a little too hard. Well, those are the priests of Baal. Now the third group, the prophet, the priest, and then the people. That's us. The people are standing there, and the thing, outstanding thing about all these people that came, well, they answered him not a word. The devil had put them all quiet. They couldn't respond anymore. Oh, they could, but they wouldn't. And they answered him not a word. Here's what Adam Clark, in his commentary, now he wasn't a Calvinist, he was an Arminian, but he was a pretty good fellow anyway. And he said this, they were halt. They could not walk uprightly. They dreaded God and therefore could not totally abandon him. They feared the king and the queen and therefore thought they must embrace the religion of the state. The king being Ahab and the queen being Jezebel, whom Frankie Lane sang about 100 years ago. But anyway, 
Jezebel. Well, she puts you to death. She caught you having anything to do with God. She'd kill you. She could do it. She was a wicked and evil woman. She was so bad the dog wouldn't eat her face. Dogs ate her. Can you imagine? What kind of dog was running around loose in Israel in those days that if somebody fell down dead, the dogs ate them? That's how God described the way she went into eternity. Threw her down. Blood splattered against the wall. Horses walked, rode over her, just rode the whole troop right over her, and then the dogs came out, finished it up. They feared her. That's how you rule people. That's how they do it in our country in this hour. If, if you're mean enough and bad enough, people are scared to say anything against you. Therefore, you rule the country. Sounds like peace, but it's not. But anyway, here in this story here of, of the people, he said, how long? You people. Now, I'm, I'm asking you as a pastor this morning, I'm going to ask you, if those of you who are here, how long, if you are, how long will you halt between what is clearly of God and what is not of God? But a lot of people follow it. I mean, if God is really God, shouldn't we follow him? Shouldn't we? Then we ask ourselves a question. Every one of us, when we're alone by ourselves, thinking, then why don't I? Why am I the one who reads the Bible and sees things in there that I don't hear preached in church, don't hear talked about in church? In the religious atmosphere that I find myself in, you're not supposed to talk about that. You're not supposed to ask those questions. We don't do that here. We don't believe that way here. And I say, well, what am I doing here? I'm not going to some church where they tell me the limit of my walk. That's God's business. If he leads me into a deeper way and a, and a trail that goes a little higher than maybe others been willing to venture, okay, let's do it. And if you see the Lord involved in this, come on with me. Let's have an inspirational moment here. Let's encourage each other with our Christian life. Let's not back off all the time and be afraid because, well, you know, he said, but it might not. And, and everybody else gets afraid with you. He might not. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, he might not. If you spank your child, they'll for sure leave you. Well, they, they will. They'll leave you and go to the bedroom, go to bed, I guess. What's happened to America? What's happened to Christianity? Until the very things that are divine and sacred, people no longer respond to. They answer this. When the question is brought forth, they answer it not a word. We'll go back to 1 Kings 18 and we'll close with this. What caused the people to respond? Because when they responded, they had lots of words. What convinced them that God is God? Well, you know the story, first of all. Elijah had said from verse 22 down through verse 30. In that section of scripture there, I'll just paraphrase some of it. He said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take two bulls and we're going to cut them up. And you're going to lay your bull on wood. No fire under, but... And then you call upon your God to consume the off the sacrifice, and then I'll call upon the God of heaven to assume the sacrifice. And they said, good, let's do it. Let's do it. So Elijah said, all right, all you Baalites, dive in. He didn't exactly say it that way. So the prophets of Baal began to do their chants and their prophecies, and they began to, oh, Baal, and they began to, Dance around there, and like you said in verse 26, they leaped up on the altar. And in verse 27, it came to pass at noon. Now, they started this in the morning. Now, at noon, they're still hollering and yelling at the stones and the sticks. You think, how can anybody be this ignorant? Read it. These are dumb idols they're believing in. Fashioned by some man's hand, painted to look like a goon, and people worship the dumb thing. 
No wonder they were crying out. Elijah said in verse 27, said that he mocked them. And he said, cry out, for he is a God. Is he talking to somebody or is he pursuing something? Maybe he's on a journey or perhaps he sleeps and and wake him up. Now, that's not very nice today. That's just not very nice. I mean, these guys are now they're starting to cut themselves and they're a bloody mess. And they're yelling, they're screaming, they're prophesying, oh, great bell, you are the mighty one. And they were dancing around her, jumping up on the altar and flipping around here. And, I mean, 450 of them, what a show. And here's Elijah. Maybe he's asleep, wake him up. He, maybe he's gone on a journey somewhere. And now all the people are watching this. Boy, if Jezebel was here, you wouldn't have a head to talk like that with because she'd remove it. Jezebel ain't going to do nothing. I mean, the dogs are going, they're looking for her. But anyway, he looks over here. Maybe he's asleep. Wake him up. And all it said in verse 28, and they cried aloud and they cut themselves after the manner with knives and lancets and the blood gushed out upon them. And at noon, at noonday, when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. That they ran out of words. They ran out of voice. They were all hoarse. Nobody could answer. Nobody could prophesy anymore. They were done. <sighs> Needing a transfusion. <sighs> Bleeding. <clears throat> a bloody mess. You know what I'm thinking? You believe that? You're following that? That's your religion? Maybe Elijah said, all you people... Is this what you're following? Is this what you all believe? These people that are, you're looking at, these poor souls, that's who you're counting on for eternal security? Come up here, some of you fellows, and help me build an altar. They took 12 stones, and they made a, an altar. And they made a big trench around the altar. And they cut the, put the wood up there, and they put the bullock on top of that. Then he said, bring me a barrel of water. Poured on the offering. Now, water was scarce. They poured water on there. They did it three times until the trench was full of water and everything was soaked with water. Now, there's no gimmicks here. All the people are watching. Now, there's a reason they're watching. I'll give it to you in just a second. And all the people were looking at this. And he said in verse 37, Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God. And listen to this wonderful verse, and that you have turned their hearts back again. And you know what happened? And verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, the sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, And looked up the water that was in the trench. In other words, poof. Ever what it sounded like, ever what it looked like, whop. Somebody help me. And everything that was there is gone. The stones are burned up. The bullock is gone. The wood, all the water, even the dust. In other words, there was nothing left here. God totally and completely consumed that offering because one man said, Lord, listen to this, even though they're quiet, even though they're not even answering you, and even though they're struggling and flipping around and running after who knows what, they're still your people. Isn't that good? And the only reason you sent me here was so that you don't have to judge all these people. I want you to show them who you are. And you know what the people said? After that happened, verse 39, then all the people answered him not a word. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. They probably said it like this. The Lord, he's God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Lord's God. (laughs) 
You know, if you and I had been there, we'd have been screaming. How could you deny this? Before your very eyes, God has manifested his power and showed whose opinion was right and whose opinion was wrong. Elijah said, now here's what we're going to do. You get them 450 prophets and you bring them down with the brook Kishon and he killed them all. That's how God feels about false religion, religion that troubles, quietens and disturbs and destroys people. Kill them all. He got rid of them. That doesn't mean that today in the New Testament we can go around killing other religions. That's not what the New Testament message is about. Because there's a whole lot of God's people out there that God loves and that he's going to rescue the perishing, and he will. If he sends you to do it to your neighbor across the street, to some poor soul in some foreign country, God has people that he's going to love other people through. Because that's the nature of God. That's the way he is. Now, is there anyone here this morning that needs to make a decision? Bow your head with me. I know that some of you have struggled much in your life. Maybe you're trying to live with it. Make the best of what you got, but never really expecting much to change. Maybe you're going through that. That kind of philosophy is been determined in your mind. Maybe somebody has taught you that, or maybe without any teaching, that's what you came to. But perhaps this morning, the Lord is speaking to you. I want your choice. I want your will. You know that I'm God. You know I am. You don't need to see a flaming fire lick up an altar and destroy everything Even the dust. You don't need that to know who I am. I've given you my word and you've heard it. You know what's right and you know what's wrong. You do. You're sitting here today. You know the difference. You excuse yourself. You make it easy for yourself. You give yourself options. Just like they did. And this morning, perhaps, is a day of decision. Maybe God in a spiritual way has led you today into this valley of decision. And he says, I want your will. I want your choice. Because when I get that, I've got your heart. You might need where you're sitting this morning to make that decision. Maybe you need to get saved. If you do, I would ask you to come up here in front of everybody and say, I want to turn my heart over to Jesus Christ and be saved today. I want everybody to know it because I want to be put on the line. Or you may be back there in the seat saying, you know, there's some things I I, I need to make some decisions. Do it. Don't put it off. Bible says today is a day of salvation. There may not be a tomorrow. Do it. Father, I ask you to bless the thoughts, the thinking, the hearts of all your people here today. Leave nobody alone, Lord, even the little ones. That everybody that leaves today knows that that they have heard from the Lord in some way. I know you love us. I know you care about us. And I know our interest you hold in mind. And I ask you to bless with a good, strong constitution all of us that are here today to believe in you, to trust in you, and to walk with you. And I ask you to do that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you stand to your feet? God is good, isn't he? Amen. Oh, let us search and try our way. Turn again to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts with our hands, with our hearts, with our hands, unto God in the heaven, 
song. Amen.